comes down to an ill-informed lawyer in the ministry of the attorney general really it's just how they've a chosen few have chosen to interpret the criminal code and made it very difficult for the minister or others to to move and so we are still pursuing options to see if the liquidity issue can be addressed you're listening to the gaming news canada show with steve McAllister, recorded live on twitter spaces follow gaming news ca on twitter to join the live audience welcome everybody to the third episode of the gaming news canada show i'm your host steve McAllister from parlay media group and editor-in-chief of the gaming news canada newsletter really appreciate everybody coming out today and uh no surprise it looks like we've got a, a few people in the audience from from the daily fantasy sports world and so uh we are going to call on peter shanky and, and digger turnbull in a in a second but we are going to start the start the show and, and bring amanda brewer from kinder group in here and uh amanda some it's been really, uh, really cool news this, at the beginning of the week. Uh, thanks again for tipping me off the morning before the Tuesday newsletter went out that Paul Burns, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, was, was being honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award by Vixio Gambling Compliance. And Amanda, maybe you could just walk walk us through what, what Vixio is. And, and uh, you you know Paul uh, certainly better than anybody on, on this uh, in this forum. And uh you know it's the second uh it's the second honor for for paul this summer i was, I was joking uh uh saw paul's linkedin post an hour or so ago and was joking that he's gonna have to build a trophy case that is as his toronto home if these honors keep piling up but i'll turn it over to you for a couple of minutes amanda thank you yeah always a pleasure to speak about awards and honors for paul um so gambling compliance or vixio gambling compliance has been around for a very long time and provides what I call regulatory intelligence information. And uh, James Killsby, who was quoted in the announcement I've known for a number of years as well. He's a, he's a really well-respected reporter and journalist. Um, they're based in the, um, in the U.S., but they cover all over the world. Um, and so they've had a longstanding relationship, especially through James with Paul. And it was really great to see them acknowledge this. Um, it's the second award following the SBC Lifetime Achievement Award or Hall of Fame Award that Paul received down in New Jersey in uh, July of this year. Um, and yeah, it was it was great that news broke while he was over promoting Ontario's regulated eye-giving market in, in uh, Barcelona, Spain at the SBC conference. So well-deserved for Paul. He has been a, a very tireless advocate for the Canadian gaming industry and was certainly instrumental in leading the charge to get sports betting legalized across the country and uh, you know is is helping to to make sure that this industry continues to be sustainable is is able to advance and innovate and uh, continue to provide really safe uh, a safe entertainment experience for Canadians so yeah that's uh, hats off to Paul and I look forward to celebrating with him when he's back in Canada yeah thank, thanks for that Amanda and, and I, I did reach out to Paul and uh just mentioned that I, I know he uh, he's actually moderating uh, I think a panel discussion at SBC Summit Barcelona this afternoon on on the Ontario market. So I did reach out to Paul and and did, you know ask if he's got a couple of minutes to hop on here. But I'm I'm sure he's uh, he's busy. If you've ever been at a, a gaming conference and and you see Paul, usually he's, he's surrounded uh, by th three or four people, uh, the whole time he's on a, on a conference floor. So I'm, I'm sure he's busy today over, over in Spain, but from, uh, from Mark and Gavin and Mike and everybody else at the Parley media group, we, we congratulate Paul as well. And, 
uh, like Amanda and, and Will Hill and, and other people in this industry, Paul's been a, a great resource and has really helped educate us in, in the first uh, year plus of, of Parley Media Group's existence and uh, with the uh, with the existence of new, this newsletter. Um, before we bring in uh, Peter and, and Digger, I, we're going to, over the hour, we're going to try to, obviously, we're going to tackle the, the daily uh, fantasy sports issue in Ontario right now. Uh, we're hoping Nick Solsky is going to be able to join us from the Points Bet Invitational and, and you know, get Nick. Uh, Nick's also has a ton of experience in the daily fantasy sports space as well, so I'm sure Nick will want to contribute to the conversation as, as well on that. Um, we're going to, uh, we'll get into a little bit of, uh, of, uh, what we, in the newsletter, we, we called the tussle on Twitch, uh, this week with, with, uh, gambling, uh, gambling streaming. And if we get time at the end, we'll, we'll maybe get into, uh, again, the kind of the continuing merger of, of sports betting and, and media, um, NBC, NBC sports announcing this week that, uh, uh, their odds provider is changing from points bet to bet MGM for football night in America. So we'll maybe get into that a little bit uh, later. But first, let, let's get uh, let's get right to with uh, Peter Shanky, the, uh, the chair of the board for the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, uh, the co-founder and CEO of RotoWire, and and also uh, Digger Turnbull, who's uh, been around the fantasy sports space in Canada. I think, Digger, you and I go back at least 20, 25 years um, uh, with with my involvement in, in sports media in this country and your involvement in fantasy sports. Um, Peter, listen, thanks so much for joining us. Maybe I'll start with you, and maybe you can just walk us through the current state of daily fantasy sports in Ontario. And, and for anyone who doesn't know, there's, I don't know, moratorium is the right word, but... Um, regulated daily fantasy sports basically ceased to exist when uh when the market opened here on april 4th but peter you know you know this issue much better than i do so i'll, I'll let you walk our listeners through it the real bottom line for uh paid fantasy sports contests because it's not just dfs it's also season long and anything else that involves a paid entry uh it's kind of a mess <laughs> on a lot of, a lot of a lot of a lot of ways um you know i've, I've been doing this for you know I don't know, 15 years now, and we've passed uh, laws in the U.S. to clarify the legality of fantasy sports in 25 states. Um, and uh, this one might be the, I don't know, the biggest mess that, that I've seen so far. <laughs> and it really goes in a couple different ways. So paid fantasy sports were um, not seen as illegal, I guess you could say, in, in Ontario, and everyone was operating, and I don't think anyone had any problems with it. And then um, when the sports betting legislation passed, um, fantasy sports were deemed uh, uh, gambling, and uh, that that set off a trigger uh, for a number of issues. Um, the first one is liquidity. Uh, there's you know been a couple ru- a ruling that basically just came down and said that um, you know that Ontario can't share liquidity with other jurisdictions, uh, primarily the U.S. Um, that's a real problem for uh, paid fantasy sports contests, where any one jurisdiction, even California. Uh, there's just not enough people to have a real viable business, but you pool together, you know, 50 states in the U.S. plus uh, Canada, and suddenly you've got, you know, pools with, uh, you know, tens of thousands up to millions of dollars of prizes. So that's the first problem. Second problem is uh, to get a license, uh, you got to pay 100,000 Canadian, um, which would be the largest fee of any jurisdiction, even in the U.S. Um, and that's that's a really high burden for most companies. Um, especially the smaller operators, and then on top of that, third problem is you got to pay a tax rate 
that again would be is 25%, uh, which would be uh, 10 percentage points or 9.5, uh, higher than any jurisdiction in the U.S. So you, know, you got all three of those problems. Um, and so you, as a result, you've seen uh, you know, just about everybody withdraw from the market. And just to give some point of facts, but also Peter, like myself, has been involved in the industry for decades. And Steve, thanks for the introduction. And the second thing to, to lead to that, uh, on the FSGA board, uh, Peter, we have all these different subcommittees. And Peter has been a tireless worker on the Legislative and Government Affairs Committee, leading that charge uh, over the, the decades as well. And really, one of the biggest things has been to educate the legislators in, in all the different jurisdictions to understand, you know, uh, before the law is passed, to understand the difference between sports betting and fantasy, to under, and, and to help them understand the game of skill versus the game of chance. And so that's certainly a background to this as well, leading into obviously when the laws changed in the U.S. and ultimately changed last, uh, uh, last year here in Canada. And the unfortunate thing, that was not taken into consideration when we, at least knowing for us, the uh, when the laws were being written. So it's the verbiage is also that has played into this and how that the change take effect. And, and people correct me at any point with what I'm adding. So I'm doing a little bit of filibuster. The next question may come. However, it also gives the background more to this as well. It's not just something that's come up over time. This is something that we've dealt with since, obviously, the Attorney General in New York in 2015 uh, challenged DFS. And, you know, then the jurisdictions went through and understood that this was a game of skill versus a game of chance. So uh, I hope that leads to more questions. Just a question I can jump in with before you go, Steve. The, the liquidity part, um, Peter, um, is this is as simple as could it could it not be resolved? I get parts two and three that you raised those challenges, but um, can you not just run a fantasy daily fantasy with lower prize payouts uh, in a jurisdiction that's not able to share a bigger prize pool? Uh, I mean, it is it is possible uh, that in any one state or province uh, that you could. Uh, run a game just for people in Ontario and have a paid fantasy sports contest. But even in Ontario, um, you know, which is one of the largest markets in North America, uh, you know, you've got about, I would guess, about you know, 20 percent of the population playing paid fantasy sports. It's just not that. And then, and then on top of that, how many people are going to play? You know, DFS or the games, any specific game. It just gets to be a pretty small pool to, to the point where it's just not really viable for most for most businesses. Um, so it's not really, and we've never seen this in any U.S. state. Um, you know, there's been similar, you know, there's been oftentimes questions of legality, and there's some states, uh, say, for example, Nevada, uh, that has a similar problem to Ontario, where they've, uh, the state of Nevada has ruled that paid fantasy sports contests are, uh, are gambling. Um, in theory, you know, you could get a gambling license in Nevada, and you could offer a paid fantasy sports contest and run a contest of just people in Nevada, but... You know, it's just not enough people. So, so I, so I don't think that's really vi viable. You might get a few small companies that are doing it, um, but even then, I'd be, I'd be shocked. Yeah, and Digger, I think I read somewhere. I can't remember what uh, what website it was, but we mentioned the newsletter last week. I think there's are a couple of small operators running fantasy sports in on Ontario right now. Is that correct? So that one is, uh, you know, uh, Owners Box has been public about the, and I, I, I think somebody from Owners Box is in here, but may not. Uh, so you can jump in, but uh, they've they've been uh, pretty public that they have are continuing to offer contests in Ontario, but they sh 
you know, not they're not Ontario only. They share liquidity with the rest of the market, and they're not licensed. You know, as far as being a licensed uh, gaming operator in Ontario, um, so they're they're doing it kind of as an unlicensed market in. You know, to, I guess seeing seeing what happens, I guess, <laughs> and and have made the co- the calculation that uh, that that's an effective strategy for them, and uh, that they won't face legal consequences. And that's not something that I think that um, most of the other operators, especially the license holders in Ontario, uh, are willing to do. Um, and uh, certainly, it's not something that you know I'm not I'm trying to say anything bad about them or whatever. But I think our overall strategy has always been in any jurisdiction where there's you know, uncertainty or whatever, our, our goal is to get something on the books that, you know, cl- you know, you know, clarifies and confirms that uh, fantasy sports are legal. And that's kind of what we hope to do in Ontario. Yeah. And at this point, Nick, I'm going to, I'm going to get Nick Salski in here because Nick, the, who's now a uh, chief commercial officer at points bet Canada. I mean, Nick built monkey, uh, monkey knife fight and, and has been around the daily fantasy sports game perhaps almost as long as Digger has. And Nick, did you kind of see, did you see this coming when, when we were moving down the road to, to regulation Ontario? Did you, did you ever have a sense that, that daily fantasy was going to be, was going to be a casualty here in the early, in the early going? No. Um, no. Anyway, first off, thanks for having me again, Steve and everybody. And, and Peter and Digger, it's great to, it's great to hear you. Um, I, I, I'm a, I'm a very lucky member of the board of directors of the fantasy sports gaming association with peter and digger so i can only uh i can only double ring the bell that digger did about the amazing work that peter's done over the last years uh dealing with these issues but you know to answer your question steve no honestly um not in a not in a million years did i ever think that c218 would pass the ontario regulation would come out and daily and paid fantasy sports would basically be victimized and you know i I, I think that the regulators, they just forgot about it. They didn't really, they didn't really think about it at the time. Um, you know, I, I, I would bet, no pun intended, that if they were able to rewind the clock, they would have done a better job addressing the specific issue of paid fantasy sports. But, um, you know, to, to both what Peter and, and Digger said, I mean, it's, it's, it is unfortunate. Uh, I mean, I do think there is one category of fantasy sports that, that could potentially um, operate within Ontario. Um, you know, by that I mean the single-player fantasy sports category, which has really evolved over the last four or five years. But again, to Peter's point, the license fees and the taxation rate really makes it challenging for pretty much every fantasy sports company, uh, with the exception of maybe three, who would be able to um, you know handle that without it being a significant drag on their uh, you know, on their on their cogs and on their operating expense. So, you know, I, you know, I, I, I hope, I hope that we can see some swift changes made. But uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Right, Peter, can you maybe just tell us, like, the, does the FSGA have any idea how many fantasy players there are, there are in Ontario and across the rest of Canada, and just kind of how how big this industry has become? Um, Digger, do you have those numbers in front of you? Generally speaking, it it, it you know, it's pretty similar to the U.S. Like I said, we're around twenty percent of the pop of, of the population plays fantasy sports of some kind, um, and then it's about half of that plays a, a paid fantasy sports contest or in or daily fantasy sports. So uh, I don't have the Ontario uh, latest population numbers in front of me, but uh, you know, if you do the math, it's a, it's a, it's a good market. So yeah, and and the latest that we had, which we've done more 
research on the obviously the U.S. market at times include Canada in, but it was over 5 million people played fantasy sports and things like this. And that was a couple of years ago our research did at that time, point in time. So, so, so Dega, this might, this might come across a dumb question, but I'll ask it anyway. So what, what happens to those people when you don't have, when you don't have a regulated daily fantasy market right now? Do they just kind of go and do neighborhood pools or get their buds together? Or how, how would that work right now? If I was someone who's been playing daily fantasy uh, with an operator in Ontario for the last 10 years? Well, really, I mean, they're, they are blocked out from, from certainly the DFS side of things. Uh, and other ways, it's just, yeah, you'll play your normal fantasy league where you may not be paying for prizes through the league itself. So you'll be playing your normal fantasy pool or, or how we used to call it, you know, here in pools in Canada, terminology-wise. But for sure, the paid fantasy side is shut down unless they can find some sort of, <laughs> you know, ways around it which is not you know the way it works these days so you know and and you did mention earlier about it and peter was correct uh you know owner's box bradley is on this uh call so he may want to speak up to some of the things with the, the this as well the other thing we are doing which we would like to make sure we get out there is uh you know as as Nick rightly said, and we probably agree with 100%, is that it was probably more of an oversight with trying to get everything done as opposed to was something that was set up. However, we don't know that for sure. But what we uh, have done on the FSGA side is also given a, a voice to speak, which is Fantasy Sports for All. We've set up a website uh, or a link to that so that people in Ontario certainly can uh, communicate their support to this and that we can reach out to the politicians themselves to let them know the interest behind this of the actual person, which is really ultimately the consumer as well, that there is a demand for this, that people do want to play, that it is something they're missing, it is entertainment, and that it should be uh, brought up so that people like Peter can help and us can educate them or understand the concerns that they do have. And that's a big part of it too. And, and Amanda, going back years, that you, the stuff work you've done uh, with uh, Paul is education is, and communication is a huge part of this. Working with the regulators, working with the people to help educate them on the dis, uh, on the different verticals and these things like this. So any support and help that we can get, we would love to have those conversations happen as well. And I think Peter and Nick can speak to that too. Hey Nick, this is a topic that you and I discussed in in the early days of the newsletter and. If you can maybe just uh, give your thoughts again on kind of the the relationship between DFS and sports betting and and how they uh, you know how they coexist and and it's, it seems I, if I if I remember our conversations correctly is that they they can, can they can exist quite nicely together. Well, I mean, yes, I mean I think they completely do complement one another. I mean the the, the kind of the the behavior of being a fantasy sports player and the types of decisions that you're making, whether you're, you're managing, you know, your season long team, when you're deciding which players to start, and which players to sit, um, which players you want to, you know, you want to add onto your team. And, you know, in DFS, in, in, in conventional standard daily fantasy sports, when you're, sorry, I have a, I'm at a curling event. So there's some cheering behind me. Apologies for the, the ambiance. Um, but in, in classic daily fantasy sports, when you're actually building a team of, of players, you're making you're you're actually consciously making decisions around what players you think are going to outperform their projections, their stats, 
which is the same thing as now making player prop bets. So the idea of saying that I think DeAndre Swift is going to have a great game on Sunday is the same thing, is the same decision I'd be making both from a fantasy sports perspective and from a sports betting perspective. So the question, though, of whether or not I think sports betting and season-long fantasy sports absolutely coexist wonderfully. Whether there's whether fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports, and sports betting can all happily coexist within the same uh, within the same regions, we're only starting to see data, and we're only starting to learn that now. Personally, I think that areas where sports betting is legal, there will be some level of cannibal cannibalization of daily fantasy sports of paid daily fantasy sports. But again, that's just a hypothesis because we're still so early into the, into the, into the process of, of, of all three being in existence in certain states. But it's all the same decision-making process, right? So, you know, I, I, I do believe that they completely complement one another. And fantasy sports is literally the biggest social game that's ever been invented, right? Um, 20% of, uh, of populations play fantasy sports. That's incredible. That's not to suggest that all 20% of that would be gambling or would be playing DFS, but um, we think it's pretty close. Yeah, and I guess the other thing too, Nick, is we tend to think when, when you mention daily fantasy sports, I mean, for me, I think of the NFL right away, but obviously it goes, it goes beyond, uh, beyond football. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think, and, and Digger, Digger and Peter would probably know the details a little bit more specifically than me, because I've been out of kind of the DFS world and the fantasy world for the last, you know, two years. But fantasy basketball has been growing bigger than any other fantasy sport. Uh, or at least when I was running Monkey Knife Fight, we saw the growth of basketball. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. And, you know, uh, so it's, it's not just about football. I mean, baseball's big. Um, hockey is has a very good, strong presence in Canada, um, less so in the states. But the the core sports are are pretty are pretty um, are pretty significant. Uh, I don't know, Peter, if this is a question you or Digger want to answer, but just the the kind of communication that's happening with the AGCO right now, are, like, are there regular phone calls or is e- is it email correspondence or kind of where where's that relationship at? Well, I think the main thing we're doing while we're, while we're supporting this uh, campaign, which is a fantasy sports for all slash Ontario, and if uh, you can look look at my Twitter account here, and I've got some links to it for anybody in the audience. Uh, tell your friends in Ontario to sign up because um, that what you do is you enter your your name and address, and it sends an email uh, to your elected officials. And I think what we're trying to do is we're just trying to wear, raise awareness to the issue. Um, I think like like Digger and Nick have said, it's really just a, you know just sort of a they just kind of forgot about it, i think fantasy in this and what kind of impact it would have in their in the, in the kind of the rush to get the sports spending stuff done and my sense is in talking to all the stakeholders and government officials that like there's really no one that's sort of anti-fantasy i think a lot of jurisdictions in the u.s um we sort of get caught in the crossfire of a bunch of um vested interests trying to uh, stake their turf to the gaming space and fantasy just becomes kind of gets, you know, uh, washed into it. And somebody sort of, uh, I don't know, stabs us in the back, I could say. That doesn't seem to be the case here. I think it really is just more of just, they just, you know, didn't realize what what impact this is going to have on paid fantasy sports contests rather than somebody trying to freeze out DraftKings and FanDuel um, and other operators. And so I think if we can just make them aware of it, uh, then I think that we will find a solution, whether that solution is legislation or uh, you know, a change in 
uh, you know, the opinions about uh, the, the law itself, uh, you know, which is an impact of liquidity. Um, you know, all those options are on the table. And uh, I think if we can just get uh, lawmakers and uh, elected officials uh, kind of aware that they have uh, upset constituents, uh, then we'll find a path forward. Yeah, Digger, is your, is your sense that there's any kind of a quick fix here with the AGCO? Not really. I mean, it was hoping, I mean, obviously the poker side of things was another issue that was being dealt with in a similar uh, format. Right. So uh, it, it theoretically could be a quick fix. However, the issue really is, is, is you're changing law, right? And so that's the issue that also plays into this. So it really has to be, and, and as Peter said, you know, this is where constituents and players have just as much of a voice as anybody else. So it really is getting that word out there, posting that site in different places to allow people who are missing this, which there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you'd come to us 10 years ago and said, you know, DFS where it is in the marketplace or, you know, 12 years ago in the fantasy sports realm, it changed a whole bunch of different things. And it's amazing how many people play DFS. And to Nick's point, yes, it's a crossover from a props point of view. However, there's a lot of strategy that goes into it because you're working with a fictional, you know, budget that you have to make. So it's not just, you know, predicting the person will have a better prop, you know, a bet on that single player. It's actually figuring out those sleeper picks again and all that stuff to make the best value. Of but I mean, I, sorry, sorry, dear. To that effect. So... Uh, I would like to think that there is a quick fix, but the best quick fix, as we know in a lot of cases, is education and communication with the legislators. And then the second part is the, you know, hearing from the constituents to let them know, hey, you do actually have a voice in here. And what we do realize in Canada, for sure, is politicians do listen to the emails or things when they get a voice, a lot of voices from the actual uh, voting electorate <laughs> to, to send them notes. I mean, I think the one thing, Steve, and everyone to also think about and to understand is there's, a, there's also nuance here because Canadian gaming law is different from U.S. gaming law, right? Fantasy sports and daily fantasy sports, which is legal in, a number, in most jurisdictions in the U.S., in Canada, um, you know, because of our definition of what game of chance is and how our gaming laws are kind of defined, and I know Amanda can probably speak to this better than I, um, anything that has an element of chance is deemed gambling. Um, and so the reason why you never, no Ontario sports fan ever saw daily fantasy sports advertising on television. It never happened because media companies in CRTC would not get approval to advertise DFS because there was some confusion around whether or not it was um, in conflict with our gaming law. So there is that level of nuance and is that you all know I'm pretty cards on the table. I mean, that is something that we all have to be very aware of. Is also, is there is a difference between U.S. and Canadian gaming law en masse, which makes this conversation even that much more complicated. Yeah, and that to reiterate, that's 100% correct. Sorry about that, Nick, but that's what you're absolutely right. Which you know yeah, I, yeah, and, and Nick, I was going to bring Amanda in just because of Amanda's uh, knowledge about the inner workings of AGCO and, and the industry. Of, uh, Amanda, just... I guess to my question earlier to Digger and Peter about timing and, and trying to get, trying to fix this. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, stop blaming the AGCO for this. <laughs> um, where this came about and why this came about, and it was, it was because, like, with this market needing to open, 
Um, at some point, government agency or IGO made a decision to prioritize speed to market. So it meant they weren't going to get everything right. So you're quite right. Poker is also caught up in the liquidity restrictions because we have we the province of Ontario made the decision to ring fence. So it is a more complicated issue than um, than just you know outreach to constituents because what happens is, and I'm not going to do a whole masterclass on gaming law, but gaming is conducted and managed by each individual province and nothing has changed with those laws. Yes, we, we legalize sports betting, but the actual conduct and management laws have not changed. All it was, was Ontario decided to take the first step forward and interpret them more broadly so that they could launch this market. Um, what got left behind was international liquidity. I can absolutely assure you that Paul Burns, the Canadian Gaming Association, made many, many attempts, and that is all through the Ministry of the Attorney General. So that's who made the decision about ring fencing Ontario was the Attorney General. It wasn't the AGCO. Um, they were aware of what would happen. They were aware of what that would mean to DFS and to poker. I actually had some DFS player find me on Facebook and reach out when he got his notice that FanDuel and DraftKings were going to be pulling it out of Ontario, and he was very frustrated. Um, it's one of those things that got kind of caught up in speed to market. Uh, I think now is a really good time to uh, make overtures to the Ministry of the Attorney General and to the Ministry of Finance, um, who is definitely interested in the channelization and the revenue that is generated by this market, um, and start finding out if there's a possibility of initiating those discussions again. So it is just, it's, it's really, a, it's not a great explanation for why it got left behind, but it was just how the ministry of the attorney general felt comfortable launching this market. Um, you know, they were worried about challenges from other provinces. So, you know, hopefully this is something that through the CGA, through the um, other industry associations and the other stakeholders, um, it's a it's a good time to pick this up again and start pushing. And at that point, uh, so first of all, I don't know uh, from Peter's sake or Nick's, but I think we're all in agreement here. I don't think any of us is blaming at all the AGCO. So hopefully if it came across that way, it's far from that. We actually know it's not the regulators. They're implementing the law as opposed to the other way around. So from an FSGA point of view, I would, and again, Peter, I'd want you to speak up here, but we know it's not. The, uh, the AGCO and certainly are not in the position of saying, hey, it's their fault, one at all, uh, and support you, support you in that. So, uh, But we do know that it is from the law, and, you know, uh, you just reiterated what we probably thought, which is that, you know, to hurry to market, there was so much to do, and so, and then to know that the next steps to take are also really important. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's why, I mean, like I was saying, it's pretty complex. It's, it's a bunch of different organizations that all kind of did it all. So, yes, the liquidity issue is out there, and it's you know, maybe not the AGCO, but then you also have the fees fees and licensing, which is the AGCO and then the additional uh, lottery uh, that sets the tax rate. So you, know, you got three different organizations to deal with, which, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is you know, then you get a lot of answers like, oh, it's not us, it's them, and <laughs> it kind of go in circles sometimes. So, um, you know, we got to attack it on multiple fronts, and that's why it's, that's why I said our strategy is really just to, if we get you know elected officials in general more awareness, people figuring out what's going on, um, then I think that'll have benefits uh, from multiple angles. Before we move on again, I'll just mention uh, as Peter said earlier that that website is fantasysportsforall.com/ontario. If if you are someone who is a fantasy or daily fantasy sports player in Ontario and you and you want to have your voice heard, any oh there I think uh, Paul Burns, I think we have you now. 
think so. Hi. Ah, there we go. Hola. Jeez. Congrats, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, first, yeah, Paul, um, thanks for, uh, thanks for hopping on here from Barcelona and congratulations on the, uh, on the, uh, on another uh, career achievement award this, this week, <laughs> we can, uh, before, I guess, uh, first of all, maybe speak a little bit about that. And then I, I do wonder, I'm, I'm, I think you've been listening to the conversation about daily fantasy sports here and, and Peter and Amanda, Nick and, uh, and Dager. And I just, I wonder if you have one to add any thoughts to that. Um, well, thank you for uh, kind words about the award. It is uh, it something I'm completely out of left field. Um, and I'm now it's, all of this is making me feel old and someone maybe want me to retire soon. Um, so, <laughs> can't afford to do that. I'm not going no. anywhere anytime soon. But it, uh, but anyway, it was a nice, nice honor. And, uh, um, I actually got to spend some time this week with uh, Brigitte Sen, who was the last winner of that um uh, of, uh, in 2020, when they awarded it to uh, to her, yeah, the the DFS is all this you may blunder. It comes down to an ill-informed lawyer in the Ministry of the Attorney General. Really, <laughs> I don't think anybody doesn't want to have liquidity. Everybody does. It's just how they've a chosen few have chosen to interpret the criminal code and made it very difficult for the minister or others to to move. And so we are still pursuing options to see if the liquidity issue can be addressed it's uh, i don't know if it'll be anytime soon um our challenge is keeping the government um, engaged on gaming files because um, in some circles in the government they think they've done their bit and uh can move on and you know we know that that's uh, there's still some work to do in some places so we'll keep at it um but i know it's it is a frustration um, and it's unfortunate because the market had liquidity and one of the government's principles going into this was not to interrupt or disrupt the customer experience. Well, this has <laughs> and, uh, and taken, uh, and to credit to the DFS sector, frankly, you have kept the issue, uh, in front of the government because the, the poker players don't seem as motivated for some reason. Um, so no, it's, uh, it's something we'll keep working on. And uh, and all the work that uh, that Digger and the King are doing is fantastic, and keep at it, and we'll support you any way we can. Yeah, I just want to, Paul, but I'm sure you're busy. I, I just I, I believe you probably have already had your moderated your panel on the Ontario market today. I just wonder, just some general thoughts from the summit and and uh, some of the conversations that you've had with. Uh, I think there's what eight thousand people in Barcelona have had the, at the summit this week. Yeah, it's been a great turnout. Um, the SPC is. Uh, uh, I built a great uh, program here. There was a mountain of sessions and topics, and um, and great engagement. Lots of uh, lots of people, and lots of discussion about Ontario and in the Isleways and and around. And yeah, our panel was this afternoon because I'm, I'm just about going for dinner. It's about that time here. Um, is uh, and early because it's only nine o'clock. So it's the uh, ten o'clock doesn't seem to, seems to be the average starting time in this. In Spain for dinner, but anyway, it was a great session. I did this afternoon. With Martin Leica from Maintain, uh, Will uh, Woodham from Fitzdares, uh, and Melanie Haynes, who's the CMO with Roots, uh, and they were. It was terrific talking about their impressions of the market. Roots and and Fitzdares are coming to market soon. They're not in right now. Um, Will couldn't say enough 
William couldn't say enough good things about Toronto, and he was in Toronto a couple weeks ago and raved about the city and the market and the opportunity. And one of the other arching themes was actually um, from a lot of my conversations and then from other panels um, was um, a lot of praise for the AGCO and being approachable and discussions and engaging and and providing good customer service because there are uh, some operators here that are in the latter stages of uh, their licensing process, want to be in the market as soon as they can. Um, or have had some issues along the way, and the AGCO has been very accommodating, and so there's been lots of praise for that, for them in this process over here, which is nice to hear, and a very marked departure from many European regulators um, who aren't as approachable and aren't as accommodating um, for their licensees. So that was nice to hear, And uh, but there is a tremendous amount of interest still, uh, a lot of positive talk about Ontario. Everybody feels it's working well. Um and there's a few bumps and issues along the way, which we know about. And uh, but no, it's uh, it's uh, it's been very positive over here. And to the SBC crew, they've done an amazing job. And I think they're trying to uh, build this event in Barcelona because this happened last year. It was the first post-pandemic event in Europe for the gaming industry as as an alternative to ice uh, going forward. And I can tell you, the climate's better and the food's better, so it's great. <laughs> It, Paul, now that we're six months in, and, and you know as these conferences have co are, are back post, you know post pandemic, um, do you find there's like two or three common questions you get from people in the industry, whether they're suppliers or operators? Uh, are there a couple of questions that you get every time you, you bump into someone at these at these summits? Yeah, it, it, there's a couple. I mean, there's been bumps in the in the process for um operators in in some segments in the kyc uh, aml rules um obtaining insurance you know it, it's generally um small things um there's um and, and, a, and a lot of there seems to be a lot of patience for um seeing how the market will play out but and knowing there's changes. I mean, the discussion, the CGA, we started with our members in the AGCO looking at how can we find a more sustainable path for relationships with affiliates um, so operators don't have to police the internet uh, and be 100% accountable for the activities of every affiliate in the, in the, uh, in the internet. There was those kinds of things are understanding that there's willingness to dialogue. There's, there's a lot of optimism. So that's been the, the positive sign, but really that it's, um, the last major question, which the AGCO was attempting to answer with the transition standard proposed for October 31st is when's the door going to close? Cause there's people that want it to close because they're in and uh, others that are, well, I'm trying to get in. But uh, I think the AGCO has answered that question. They've been very generous with the transition period. Right. Um, and uh, I think if everybody agrees, it's probably time. Paul, th thanks so much for, for hopping on here before you head out for the evening. Uh, really appreciate it. And again, congratulations on the, uh, on the Career Achievement Award from Invexio. And uh, we look forward to seeing you either in Toronto, I guess, the next couple of weeks or mm -hmm. seeing you in Las Vegas at the... Uh, G2E uh, the week, I guess, the week after Canadian Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah, lots of good things to look forward to. So I'll be around. And thanks. 
Steve, and we'll talk to everybody soon. Great, thanks, Paul. Safe travels. Thanks. Take care. Yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna move over to Nick, but I I, I do I do want to thank uh, Peter Shanky from uh, from Rotowire and the FSGA and, and Digger Turnbull from the FSGA as well. Really appreciate you guys hopping on today and kind of walking us through the the DFS issue for those of us that haven't followed it closely. And and I hope uh, Peter that both you and Digger will kind of keep us posted on on your journey and that, and that we do see a resolution on this very soon. Well, you're welcome. It's great to join us. I mean, great to join you. And uh, yeah, hopefully we we'll get some movement here. I don't expect anything in the near near term. Uh, you know, in terms of. NFL or unfortunately hockey, but uh, hopefully maybe you know in in the next uh, six months to a year we'll we'll get a get a breakthrough. Great, thanks, thanks, thanks again, Peter. Thanks, Digger. Thanks, and I'll reiterate Peter's words. Thanks, always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Great, much appreciated, guys. Uh, Nick, uh, we, we're not looking for you to give us play by play from the third end out there in Fredericton, but um, you and I DM'd each other a little bit last night when when I was uh, sitting at my local golf course waiting for my order of chicken wings watching uh watching the uh uh i think it was maybe the second draw on tsn and uh the the rink looks great and and just watch following social media today it, it seems that there's a pretty good buzz around the inaugural points but invitational through two days hey steve and nick sorry just uh, my my complaint nick not enough points bet branding uh, can you work on that <laughs> Hey now, hey now. We are we we what 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 we what we've realized is you know we are the first sports betting company to ever have a major sporting event named after itself. So you know we're because um, I'm googling that now. I'll get back do it, to man. you. No, no, no. I've been talking to the I've been talking to the folks at Curling Canada about that. Um, you know we're pretty excited about it. I mean because obviously because the name of the event is is the points been invitational. You're going to see a lot of our branding, but I mean, ultimately, um, yeah, no, the the energy in here is, is is really is really great. I think, I mean, one Fredericton because of the pandemic had lost uh, the last they they had lost the opportunity to host two majors over the last couple of years. So, I mean, the city itself is really excited around having the event here. But I think that the the, the 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 kind of event because it's the first single elimination tournament. A lot of the curling teams are pretty excited about it. Um, it's definitely a new style, a new new drama. Um, I think a lot of people are really excited for tomorrow night when the you know when the, the celebrities come into town to do our little pro am. Um, you know, hopefully weather dependent, everybody can get in. But no, the the, the energy's the energy's been great. It's been really it's been it's been a really exciting start, and it's fun to see you know the points bet brand kind of come to life with curling in a way that we had been thinking about for the last year. So no, it's just it's been a lot of work. Um, you know, the fine folks curling Canada and our design team and everything, but right now we're, we're pretty happy so far. Hey, Nick, and I thought, I think I thought it was kind of fun. I saw your tweet and curling Canada's tweet earlier, uh, around noon hour, I guess that, uh, you still have about 160 people still in contention for the $1 million bracket challenge. And I just wonder if you could talk, talk to us a little bit, bit about, you know, the, the, the number of entries and the, the interest in the, the bracket challenge. And, and are you getting a lot of, or do you have people up there walking up to you bragging about the, the fact they're still in the challenge? Well, um, even though I am walking around wearing a points bet hat, as I do, because I am a walking <laughs> billboard, I don't think anybody has actually identified me as someone uh, partially responsible for the contest. But yeah, there's 157 people who so far are still, uh, you know, still have their perfect bracket intact, which is great considering there was a pretty significant knockout yesterday. 
or a consider uh, you know considerable upset yesterday. I mean, we only launched the contest last week, and we we saw thousands and thousands of entries. There wasn't a lot of there wasn't any paid media put behind it. It was really an organic, uh, you know, an organic contest uh, that we put out there with with Curling Canada, um, really as a as a test to see if it had legs to do it again next year. Like everything that we're doing here is really a test. We're long term partners of Curling Canada, so. It's how is the points per invitational going to work this year uh, versus how we want to improve it and, and, and iterate it for next year. You know, the Sweep 16 contest, which we're absolutely going to do again based on the, uh, you know, based on the reception that it received, you know, this year. You know, how do we make it even more fun? Um, and there, we're, we're already working on ways to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I really hope I really hope we see somebody win. I think that would be so great. Um, but ultimately, the, the chances of nailing 30 um, 30 matches um, correctly, um, you know, after the waterfall of each round is, I mean, the odds are pretty high, obviously. But, uh, yeah, no, the, people, are, people are pretty pumped. Yeah, there's a, there's a pretty good sports story to this as well, Nick, because there have been a lot of changes with, with Canadian curling ranks over the, over the offseason. So um, I would assume you've got a lot of ranks with a lot of new faces, and, and this is probably the first time that some of these ranks have been together to, to really compete, um, which, again, I, th- I would think if you're in the bracket challenge, that's going to make it a little, bit, a little bit more difficult to pick a, pick a winning rank. You nailed it. I mean, I think, I think there might be only one team that is fully intact from last year, and I think it's, uh, you know, the three-time Canadian uh, women's champion, you know, uh, Carrie Anderson's team that we are also the proud sponsor of. See, I always have to, to end with a points <laughs> bet point. But no, I mean, I, I met a bunch of the teams yesterday, or I was talking to a bunch of the curlers yesterday, and a lot of them said exactly what you just said. It was the first competition they've had. Um, there was a small competition last week in Alberta, so some of the teams kind of you know, uh, you know knocked the dust off, so to speak. But yeah, a lot of the a lot of the teams this is their first competition of the year. So, and the first competition is a team together. Like you, you nailed it. It's the beginning of the new quadrennial. So, um, yeah. So there, there's definitely a lot of anticipation to see how these new teams perform. Like tonight, Brad Gushu, who's you know the, the the Canadian men's Briar champion, you know Olympic medalist. You know he's playing um, with a bunch of new players this year. Um, so. You know, there's a lot of anticipation for tonight's men's draw to see how Brad is going to perform. So, yeah, it's uh, the curling world. I mean, this is really my first taste of a curling major, and it's, um, it's 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 a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. Not just temperature. I'm a little bit cold right now, but you know, the people are fun. The curlers are just incredible, funny, engaging, smart folks. And yeah, it's, it's the energy in here is great, man. I'm I'm really excited for the next few days. Well, I'm I'm just impressed, Nick, that you've been able to find your way out of the briar patch. I thought that might be an issue this week for you, so that's that's a positive, right? Uh, right there. I'm not sure what you're insinuating, Steve. <laughs> Absolutely nothing, uh, nothing at all. Hey, Nick, one more question. Just because I was talking to someone at a national sports organization last week, and again, we we're talking about partnerships with sports betting companies, and I I just wonder, like, has there been any uh, backlash is too harsh a word, but have there been any concerns expressed to you or to people at Curling Canada about being connected to, to a, a sports betting company? Or, or is the sense you're getting is that people just they realize that this is uh, this is part of the, the landscape now when it comes to sponsorship involving involving national sports bodies? Well, so 
there, we have not heard any blowback whatsoever so far, which has been great. In fact, people are really positive about it. One, because they do understand that this is going to add a lot more money into curling, right? It's not just going to be points bet. I believe other operators are going to follow suit. But the reality is also, Steve, um, you know, and Gavin, you know, you joke about the brand being everywhere and this and that, but we're not, a, and we've been saying this from the beginning, we're, we're not a sports betting company that's just going to put our name on the ice, put our name on jerseys and, and just stand down. Like we are here. We are here engaging with the fans. We're here engaging with the curlers. We're, we're letting people get to know what we stand for, who we are, and that our motivation is literally to help grow the sport. So I think that that, and you know, that, that, that level of kind of, it's going to sound a bit, a bit kind of, you know, hyperbolic when we saying it here, but you know, the, that, that level of authenticity, it, 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 it we don't, we're not just, um, we're not just using those words. We're actually here. Like I, last night it was, it was midnight and, and I'm going to name, I'll, I'll do one name drop. It was midnight and I was up in Randy Furby's um, presidential suite. And there was like uh, 30 curlers and they're hanging out. We're, you know, having a good time and just getting to know them and getting to hear what they think about what, how they think the sport should grow, how we as a partner of curling Canada and a sponsor of some of the teams could help them find other sponsors how how we can help grow this sport make it you know make it a little bit more uh, um uh, create a bit of a star system right i think that is one thing candidly that curling is kind of lacking is these are incredible athletes who are really well spoken smart funny um uh, and and why there's no real big huge star system built around them like some other sports where 35% of the country watches the sport. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So how can we as a partner and sponsor work with the curlers, the curling community and the fans to help really shine an even brighter light on this great sport? So I know, so I, I, I so, so to answer your question more directly, no, we've heard no blowback because I think people really are um, embracing what we're trying to do, change things, have some fun. And again, shine a light on this sport um, for a younger demographic that may not have uh, you know paid attention before you know a single elimination type of tournament steve uh, and and nick just a quick comment first of all sounds like a lot of angry people in the background there but uh, um, <laughs> to my point um i have to believe and i have zero data to back this up but i feel like curling support for curling from sponsors would be akin to support for uh, racing, especially NASCAR in the U.S. You know, the fans love when brands get behind the sport and, and, and put more money into it and support the racers. And, and I think up here, it's a very similar dynamic, more so than when they get behind a sport like hockey or basketball or baseball. I think curling has that um, kind of uh, uh, feel to it and that, that passion and a little bit of a little bit of an underdog mentality so when brands get behind it like you guys are i think there's going to be an incredible positive halo out of that so uh kudos and and good to see good to see you guys uh doing what you're doing thanks man well we're we're betting on it <laughs> there you go there's there's another pun for you well on the on that note let's uh nick thanks so thanks so much for uh for hopping on from from the uh, willie Ree center in fredericton uh Enjoy the rest of the week, and I look forward to, to watching who uh, who comes out as a champion on both the men's and women's side come come the weekend. There you go. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, again, great uh, great conversation, and I appreciate um, 
you know, participating in the uh, the fantasy conversation as well, because also that's near and dear to my heart. So thanks for doing some great work, Steve and Gavin and everyone in the Parlay Group. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, Nick. Bye, guys. Yeah. We're, hey, we just have a couple minutes left, and I, I, I feel kind of good because we, you know, we haven't leaned too heavily on Amanda Brewer and, uh, and Will Hill this week. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. But uh, Amanda, well, I do want to get both you on. Are, are there any, any stories out there this week that, that kind of caught your eye or, or issues that, that, are, that you've seen from, from what's going on in the industry? I'll start with you, Amanda. Uh, just quickly, it's, um, I was on a Teams call with um, the Chief Operating Officer and uh, Deputy Operating Officer from the AGCO yesterday, and we were discussing the Twitch decision uh, with the cryptocurrencies. And I think because the AGCO has started their enforcement um, of unlicensed operators or also suppliers who are you know, providing services to unlicensed operators, um, it's really interesting to see, to see this decision by Twitch, which I think is being applauded by a lot of people who work in this industry, and also just kind of highlights the fact that, you know, crypto casinos and those with licenses down in Caribbean countries are definitely still very prevalent in our, our, in our industry. So it'll be interesting to watch this and, and see where it goes. Yeah, thanks, Amanda. We're, and uh, we we do devote a section in the newsletter today to, to the Twitch situation, and, and we're going to go back at it again next week. Will, any, any, uh, we'll give the last word to you today. Yeah, I, I, it's a little bit of old news now, but I found it absolutely fascinating that uh, news broke about retail sports betting coming to an Ontario casino, and the person breaking the news was actually a union rep. Um, so uh, Unifor giving out the story ahead of Caesars or ahead of OLG uh, or ahead of Caesars Windsor uh, that uh, a retail style Vegas style sports book is coming to uh, to that particular facility, the oldest casino uh, in Ontario. And, and clearly I, I could, you know, if I were to guess. Um, this is, you know, touting this publicly is all about uh, job creation uh, because Unifor definitely wants to see the casino add back positions that were lost uh, during uh, and since the pandemic. Um, so um, you, you float the idea out there, generate a measure of public excitement, uh, which I think already existed as people are anticipating sports books um, in, in casinos. Um, and uh, it tends to become a reality uh, sooner. Uh, as opposed to later. So I, th I found that really fascinating, uh, the involvement of a union in breaking news. Thanks. Thanks. Well, yeah, the last thing I heard on that was that the OLG had presented a strategy to the, to the province and it was in the government's hands, but we'll, we'll, we'll uh, wait and, and watch on that one for, for a decision. Uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, just a great show and, and uh, really appreciate Peter Shanky and, and Digger Turnbull from FSGA for joining us uh amanda to, to you and will as always for for being there to, for nick salski for joining us for Fredericton and uh especially for paul burns to uh to to hold off on on the canapes and um uh, i assume probably a glass of real nice spanish wine to join us in barcelona um we'll do this again next week we, uh, we encourage everybody to subscribe to the gaming news canada newsletter if you, if you haven't already Everybody enjoy the rest of the week, enjoy your weekend, and we look forward to seeing you again here in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show, a Parlay Media Group production. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Gaming News CA on Twitter to join the live audience, and DM us if you're interested in sponsorship or being a featured guest. 